1: I'd known the Graham Staines story. It took place in the state of Orissa, one state north of me. Of course, it happened after I'd already moved to the West, but it had made international headlines. Graham Staines is a modern-day martyr, and that was our goal. Our goal was to raise him in the lexicon of Christian martyrdom to the likes of Henry Martin and Adoniram Judson and some of those who gave their life for their faith. But Graham's work is a continuing legacy. He worked with the least of these, the people afflicted with leprosy.
0: Welcome to Real Faith. Conversations about the impact faith has on our lives and the challenges we go through. Helping us today and giving us hope for tomorrow. That's real people, real life and real faith
2: with Eric Scadabo. Well, today, once again, we're focusing on the movie, The Least of These, The Graham Staines Story. Graham Staines, of course, was the Australian missionary who was tragically killed in India in 1999. Last time, we spoke with the screenwriter of the movie, Andrew Matthews, from Perth. Today, our guest is Chris Dunham, who is born in India and has been involved in the movie, both in front of the camera and behind the scenes. Welcome to the program, Chris Dunham. Thank you, Eric. It's a joy to be with you. Glad to have you with us. And so we're going to find out about your involvement in this movie. But let's first kind of get to know a little bit about you and your background. What was
1: life like growing up in India? Well, I grew up in rural India on the East Coast, uh, a small town between Madras and Calcutta, and spent all my formidable years there, primary education. I was raised in an Orthodox Hindu family, and then somewhere in the West, God got a hold of me. Okay, well, what was life like being raised as a Hindu? Well, Hinduism as a worldview tends to be more of a philosophy than anything else, so it's steeped in tradition and boundaried by culture. So you go with the flow. And parents ask you to participate in worship. You don't know why, but you go along because of respect and honor. So there's a good that comes with that because you learn loyalty and Mm -hmm. humility and uh, so... There was a tremendous amount of love in my home. came from fairly mediocre beginnings, but uh, my dad and mom made sure that uh, we did not want for anything. And did you hear about Christianity at all growing up? One of the fascinating questions, because in its very infancy in India, Christianity was part of the school system. So the better schools in India that people could go to were all mission schools. So parents would spend and save an inordinate amount of money, even though they were Hindus, to send their children to Christian schools. So I was sent to a Canadian Baptist mission school as a child, and I would hear prayers of Jesus come from the intercom. So those were the earliest things that uh, were brought to us. Mm -hmm. But growing up in a pantheistic worldview. Uh, adding a god is about the easiest thing in the world so we hear about jesus and we added him as a god
2: so in your mind it wasn't either jesus or hindu it was kind of yeah i would just add him on
1: yeah because it's the and also philosophy Mm -hmm. and you know they try to offer it as a seductive positive way which i guess in some ways when you're struggling it works but the whole concept of and or prevents you from alienating anybody so you even my mother late mother who says oh you love jesus maybe i'll pray to him And I would tell her often, I said, Mama, in order to not lose me a son, you want to add a God. Mm -hmm. I said, but the God I follow in order to add me had to lose a son. So there is an either or concept to it. It's not an and also.
2: So that's one of the very different ways of looking at things that you didn't grow up with this and or type of attitude that, hey, everything's right, kind of. Is that kind of the attitude?
1: Yeah, because, uh, I mean, sarvepalli Radhakrishna, one of the former presidents of India, who's considered one of the foremost ex- uh, experts in Hindu philosophy, actually chaired a department in Oxford. Uh, And I'll paraphrase what he said, but he said, in its desire to be all inclusive, the philosophy of Hinduism opens its arms so wide that when asked to define itself, sometimes it ends up choking itself because it can't. It's Hmm. so boundaryless. It's just so open. And that's fascinated me because in my search for God and my desire for truth, uh, I did not want to go through life believing everybody could become God. If everybody could become God, why is God unique? Mm -hmm. And uh, Peter Kraft, uh, one of the men I read, put it this way. He says, if God is on a mountain and we all want to get to the mountaintop, that's a noble way of living. But a practical way of living is realizing there is one God who came down from the mountain.
2: Mm. Well, how did you start searching? Why were you searching in the first place? Were you not satisfied with your worldview growing up?
1: Well, in talking to you, I realized that, you know, love took you to strange places and brought you to even stranger places. So I went to college to get a degree, and I majored in my wife while I was there. (laughs) So she was a fifth-generation Christian whose great-grandparents had converted to Christianity when Methodist missionaries came to India in 1870. So technically, we were unequally yoked. My late mother-in-law said that the boy has an argumentative mentality to him but he also has a investigative mind mm-hmm. if we say no our daughter will oblige but if we say yes and pray maybe we could win him for our side so my mother-in-law actually encouraged the marriage even though we were unequally young oh, wow. and prayed for me every night for seven years saying that she wanted me to come to the foot of the cross when I went to the United States, uh, I had a chance to go to work for the late, great Zig Ziglar, my mentor and my hero. Oh, hold on. you are getting a little ahead of ourselves here. So you were not a Christian when you migrated to the no, U.S.? No, I was, no. Uh, yeah, that was came seven years later. Okay. I was married as a Hindu, and I went, and uh, we got married in my wife's living room because I didn't think my parents would attend a church. So we okay. obliged. Married to a Christian. Married to a Christian, and then I went away to the West. My wife was born in America but raised in India. She was born when her parents were t- attending school having been sent by the church in India to then come back to India to be the first Indian director and wife of a major American organization. So they were educated at Michigan State with the idea that they would get that education and go back to India and be Mm -hmm. the first indigenous directors. So my father-in-law and mother-in-law were very, very outgoing people. And because my wife was born in America, I was able to go there with her after marriage for two reasons. One is we were looking for opportunity, but the other is as a mixed married couple, we did not want the scrutiny that would have come in some of the more orthodox settings in India that I was part of, Mm -hmm. that my family and all may have objected. So through a series of encounters, I ended up working for Zig Ziglar as a telemarketer in 1991. I was not a believer when I went to work for him. Okay, and of course for people who are not familiar with Zig Ziglar... He is a famous motivational speaker. Would that be a good way of summing that? Yeah, up and uh, I think, yes, he, he started off in sales, gravitated to motivation. But uh, I would tell to your audience this, that uh, he was the most contagious Christian I ever knew. And, you know, so in addition a, to being a motivational speaker. Yeah, which is all – he I think all of that was a front for the fact that he would use that as a soft platform to sell the Lord he loved. <laughs> but more importantly was this. Mr. Ziegler always said, attitudes are contagious. Is yours worth catching? And mm. as a contagious Christian, I wanted to catch what was he making him stir. And so through a series of encounters, Mr. Ziegler led me to Christ in the marketplace. I was searching and seeking – But I was not seeking theological answers that could somehow give me an intellectual veracity to try to discover Christ. I was not that smart. I always graduated in that half of the class that made the top half possible. So I was not (laughs) going to be a smart one. Uh, I needed someone to look at me and say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to go hug my mama and then I'm going to – find my baby girl. For him, Mm -hmm. heaven was a present continuous reality. I wanted Mm -hmm. that kind of fun in God. I didn't want him to be behind some temple or some tradition. I wanted God to be real. Mm -hmm. And Mrs. Ziegler said, this God will be real. And he has been. So, why were you seeking? What was missing in your Uh, life? It was missing because I saw my wife was peaceful in her faith, and Mm -hmm. my wife's family was very compassionate in their extension of love. Later on through a series of studies, I've been a good student since then, uh, I think God opened my mind to the possibilities because now they were going to be for his glory. Mm-hmm. I began to realize that there are two things in Christianity that set it apart from everything else. One is the commission to make disciples, learners in Greek, mm-hmm. and the other is the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. And I thought to myself, wow, what, what a simple concept. If you go love people and tell them who sent you, they are more likely to listen. Mm-hmm. But if you're also sent to just help people, you help them through that love, that lens of love. And so I started getting fascinated by Christianity's simplicity. And as C.S. Lewis said when he finally came to Christ, he says, I was looking for a place. I ended up finding a person. Mm. And that was profound to me because the third part of the Trinity that God promises will not leave us began to now suddenly work in my heart. And suddenly the mind I thought I never had or the capacity to pass a test that I never had in a society like India, which is a shame culture, that if you don't come first in class, you're not considered smart enough. I was suddenly being recognized for intellect that God was unleashing Mm. in me. And in in the book of Jeremiah to a lamenting prophet, God says, seek unto me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things you cannot comprehend. In my search, I found a God who said, outside the realm of your imagination begins my providence. And I said, whether I can prove him or not, for my self-image, that would be one heck of a ride. Wow. So you went from a worldview
2: that thinks everything is right to... Christianity, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one gets to the Father except through me, which is just one way.
1: That's kind of a contrast. yeah, which is interesting. You know, Ravi Zacharias puts it this way. He said, even if Christ came back now and told us that now I've decided to change because you guys are not listening, uh, we're going to have a thousand ways to heaven. Someone would say, we want a thousand and one just to be in charge. <laughs> <laughs> so whether it's one or a thousand, the number is not as important as the fact that he says, there's nothing you can do that is good enough that will get you in. Mm-hmm. There's nothing you can do that is bad enough that will keep you out. I stand in the gap. So the past is forgiven and the future is assured at Cal. Mm-hmm. So there's a point and a place and a person and a purpose colliding. Suddenly, you know, the the intellectual side of it began to stimulate me because I said, you know, this is the only worldview that it seems to be standing up against scrutiny. And it's the only one being lambasted all over the world. It's Mm. almost as if people are afraid of the truth because, you know, Aldous Huxley used to say, and I paraphrase, he says, I want my life to have no purpose because then I can continue to participate in my own erotic dysfunction. Hmm. Man wants boundaryless existence because it's seductive. And every worldview will give you some escape because you're not coming to a person who says, Stop it.
2: <laughs> so if there's no purpose, then you can just do whatever you want.
1: Yeah, basically.
2: But if there is a purpose and God says this is the purpose, well, then you're restricted.
1: And the purpose is the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. See, what is my purpose on earth? And that's why in apologetics, uh, the uh, Ravi puts it, and I quote Ravi Zacharias a lot because I serve as an adjunct with him. But Ravi Zacharias says, every worldview has to answer four questions. Origin, morality, purpose, destiny. Origin, where do I come from? Mm-hmm. Morality, is there a right and a wrong? purpose, what am I doing here? And destiny, where am I going? And every worldview answers it to some degree. Mm -hmm. But the Judeo-Christian worldview answers all four. Origin, in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Purpose, make disciples. Is there a right and a wrong? Ten Commandments. Destiny, Mm -hmm. right hand of God the Father.
2: Our guest today is Krish Dunham, who was born in India and raised in a Hindu family. He was the spiritual consultant for the movie about Australian missionary Graham Staines called The Least of These. We're going to hear more about Krish's story and we'll also find out about his involvement in the movie when we return, right here on Real Faith. The Word for Today is
0: Australia's most widely read daily devotional, designed to give you practical teaching to keep you focused on your relationship with Jesus. Read it online or subscribe to the free printed edition at thewordfortoday.com.au. You're listening to Real Faith, conversations with real people about how God works in their lives. If you want to know more about integrating faith into your life, our website is realfaith.org.au. Just go to the website and you'll find helpful articles about the impact faith can have on your life. Once again, that's realfaith.org.au.
2: Welcome back. I'm Eric Scatterbo, and today we're chatting with Chris Dunham, Who was born in India and was the spiritual consultant for the movie about Australian missionary Graham Staines called The Least of These? Chris also had a small part in the movie. Next, we're going to hear how Chris became involved in the film's production in the first place, but first, he's going to share how he became connected with internationally known Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias, who's also from India.
1: Now, you mentioned that you're connected with Robbie Zacharias. How did that come about? Uh, again, as part of the search, I suddenly realized, you know, E. Stanley Jones said, we have inoculated the world with a mild form of Christianity, so it's practically immune against the real thing. Everywhere I went, people would say, well, we have to simplify it. We have to simplify it. And I think maybe we have simplified it to the point where nobody wants it because it's too simple. Hmm. The transformed heart is not simple. A changed life is not simple. A redirected path is not simple. These are mind-altering and destiny-changing decisions. When I became a believer, my father said I was a curse on the family. That's not simple. So Ravi was the first person I heard who had an intellectual veracity that seemed. So that's when I made a decision. I wanted to be able to teach like Zig Ziglar, have fun. I wanted to be able to preach like Adrian Rogers with clarity. But I wanted to be able to reach like Ravi Zacharias. And I literally wrote their three names on a napkin, and I began a pursuit, and I've connected with all three ministries since. Oh,
2: wow. Well, now let's fast forward to this movie, The Graham Stane Story, The Least
1: of These. How did you become involved in that? Well, I was delivering a message in Hyderabad when uh, the director of the movie, Anish Daniel, who had co-written a script with Andrew Matthews, who your audience has already heard, Mm -hmm. uh, came up to me and said, can you connect me with someone who can produce this? My friend, Victor Abraham, who was the chairman of the SkyPass group, uh, had an entertainment division and asked me to be looking for a script that we could get involved in movies that had a holistic and moral tone. So I connected the two of them. They hashed it out. I'm not a businessman. I'm a connector. So uh, they came back to me and said, hey, we've made a deal. We'd like you to continue to be the spiritual consultant going forward. I'd known the Graham Staines story. It took place Mm -hmm. in the state of Orissa, one state north of me. Mm -hmm. Of course, it happened after I'd already moved to the West, but it had made international headlines. Mm -hmm. Uh, Graham Staines is a modern-day martyr, and that was our goal. Our goal was to raise him in the lexicon of Christian martyrdom to the likes of Henry Martin and Adoniram Judson and some of those who gave their life for their faith. But Graham's work is a continuing legacy. He worked with the least of these, the Mm -hmm. people afflicted with leprosy in the tribal regions of Orissa. So what is his legacy in India? His legacy in India, of course, uh, his wife, uh, Gladys, the surviving widow, and Esther, their daughter, forgave the killers the next day. That then awoke a sentiment within the Indian national audience that said, how can someone do this, A, something so heinous, but B, something so sudden and permanent like forgiveness? Mm -hmm. Because she wanted to move on. So the government of India gave her one of India's highest civilian honors. So at that moment in history, uh, both the deed – and uh, the outcome were elevated to a national conscience, But since she decided to then move back to Australia after five years of fin- living in India, mm-hmm. uh, it's it dies down because you're not seeing the people anymore. And our goal is that we raise it back up because we didn't focus on that one dark day in January when he was martyred with his two boys. We wanted to show the 34 years odd that he had already served doing mm-hmm. good. Yeah. And that's our goal for the movie, and hopefully you've seen it; it'll it, oh, yeah. it does come alive. Now,
2: getting back to the movie, what was the next step once you kind of played the role as the spiritual
1: advisor? Is, yeah, is spiritual me? consultant. They call him in. a consultant. Is just someone who lives out of town, I guess. So <laughs> uh, that's the. Re- the movie was shot completely on location in India. We had mm-hmm. to do some of the things in a way that would be sensitive and sensible. Most people who have seen the movie, including the people who were of different worldviews within India, said that we achieved that, we flew the actors to India. We actually used people who were afflicted with leprosy and cured in the movie. Mm-hmm. Our actors had to work with people who were actually at one time patients, and that was the Is beauty. Is that safe? Of, it's safe because it's curable now, and of oh, course okay. all the precautions were taken because oh, okay. it's treated like any other disease, mm-hmm. and not like the stigma it was. Yeah, in yeah. the old days, if you contracted leprosy, they took you to the outskirts of town, perform your death rites, and you were done. So it was these kind of people that Graham and Gladys picked up from different parts of the area around them and brought and gave them a home. So we wanted that story to come alive, so we shot on location. Uh, in fact, sidebar, when Gladys and Esther saw it on the big screen, I could see them whispering to each other. And later on, I said, what were you saying? So she was pointing out people. Oh, that's Michelle. That's Graham's driver. And so she recognized I people. she Yeah, people. Oh, who she had grown yeah. up with. Oh, yeah. And we used all those
2: people. Now, speaking of looking at the screen. You're also on the screen.
1: <laughs> playing a bad guy, I should say. Does Ravi know about this? I don't know about that. Yeah, I think he's he seen the movie, and uh, Ravi put it differently. Ravi says that uh, I'm really proud of my colleague, Chris Dunham, who has uh, realized that movies are not his calling. <laughs> he very diplomatically said, I don't think you need to do any more of this. Uh, uh, playing the character of a bad guy was something that I wanted to do for my own personal journey. The movie talks about conversion, coercion, induction. And all the other things that people are worried about. I'm a convert. I'm a mm. first generation convert, led gleefully to the joy of Jesus Christ in a mm. marketplace by a man who put no pressure on me. So nobody could understand uh, what becoming a Christian was more than me, and that's why it was easy to play the role saying mm. someone needs to become a Christian. I I, I do it in I do it tongue in cheek for the simple reason that one of the things in the movie we say is Coercion does not bring real closure mm-hmm. or conversion in any way. But the funny part of that particular story is my mother, my late mother, was on the set when I was recording that scene and she looked at me and she said, for someone who didn't believe mm-hmm. in Christianity, mm-hmm. she looked at me and said, why do you have to be a bad guy? So she still believed in good and bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think I, I enjoyed that role because most of my public persona is the opposite of what you see on screen. And people say, I can't imagine you <laughs> You in that role, I said that's why it's important. You shouldn't be able to imagine mm-hmm. anybody who can do something that bad.
2: Okay, so you're a bad guy.
1: So let's unpack this a little bit. Why is there a bad guy? What was the conflict? Uh, the bad guy. See, uh, part of the story is that many different people were investigating Graham. Mm-hmm. We started with the Vadva Commission, and that's just a tongue twister. But that was the commission that exonerated Graham at the highest court in the land. What was he accused of? He was accused of forcibly converting tribals into Christianity. By lure lure and inducement, by treating their leprosy, by giving them some kind of refuge, by teaching them a skill.
2: You you mean like saying, okay, I'm not only going to treat you if you convert to Christianity.
1: Yeah, you'd be better. I mean, they had all kinds of allegations. But when the investigation went through it, it was proved that, no, he was just a man doing good work. And some of them did become Christians. Many of them did. Of their own volition. Of their own will. Mm -hmm. So we started with the commission's report and all the allegations in that report that were proven false and worked backwards and created a neutral party, a journalist, through whose lens all Mm -hmm. these allegations Mm -hmm. are investigated. So behind the person investigating has to be a force that says, find me evidence.
2: Yeah, these people didn't like What Graham was doing, they didn't like Christianity spreading. Is that fair to say?
1: Part of it was cultural, but Mm -hmm. there was also the other issue, and we don't know if this is true or not. But the mission home, which was given to the Australians about in the late eighteen hundreds, is now in the heart of city. Oh. Back then, it was on the outskirts where lepers and people aff- afflicted with leprosy went. But now mm-hmm. it's in the heart of the city. So we don't know if the, it was a real estate deal. Oh, so where someone saying if we can prove pro- if we can prove that he was doing this, then you know, the land them. then becomes in question. Oh, okay. Whatever the issues, we did not know all of it. But the report that came out exonerated him of everything. Mm-hmm. And in fact, last year there was a passing in the in the Delhi High Court as well, saying that uh, being a missionary in India is not against the law. In any of India's books, Mm -hmm. these were things were added statewide later on for different reasons. And I go to India a lot. I mean, I'm a son of the soil. We still have, you know, my father and father-in-law still live there. But I think that's why we had to create Mm -hmm. an element of sinisterness that may have surrounded the why Mm -hmm. would people care about two people loving others. To the point of you mean killing them. Right. And But the most important part is why would we care about someone loving people who we have chosen not to love? Mm-hmm. See, that's a weird kind of anger, saying that I'm going to discard you, but if someone picks you up, I'm going to blame you for spoiling culture because discarding people is my birthright. That's nonsense. Yeah, <laughs> to the point of actually killing him yeah. and two of his children. And uh, and that's the irony of it all because that part is all eyewitness account mm-hmm. as to what happened. Yeah. The, the buildings surrounding the area were all barricaded. So not only was the instigation to do something heinous, Part of the barbarism of the deed was to prevent anybody else from saving them, mm-hmm. and that's a different level of anger. Now, as a as a as a person who deals in cultural anthropology and all, I don't get into words that would incite anybody, but I really do believe that a person like Gladys who forgave them. Mm-hmm. So think about it: the husband pays the highest price to follow Christ, and the wife, Gladys elevates herself to the highest level because think about it when Christ was crucified one of the statements from the cross was father forgive them for they know not what they do he was crucified Mm -hmm. Graham was martyred. father forgive them we forgive them this was truly a family ordained by God I believe with all my heart having Mm -hmm. met at least two of the players that those of you listening make sure to study the story Mm -hmm go and watch it on the screen but i'm not a native of australia but if i had my way he would have to rise in australia's lexicon as mm-hmm. one of the greats that this country has ever produced i mean i'm a cricket fan and i'm a big fan of don bradman and all the other great stuff but graham Strange has got to get up there very quickly
2: and in our few remaining moments what is the lasting legacy Going forward, what is the lasting legacy of the Graham Stain story, both on the screen and off?
1: Now, 20 years have passed. Uh, The daughter is grown. She has children of her own. Uh, I think the lasting legacy, when we screened the movie for them in some of the cities that we were, where some of the family of Graham and all came, I think they can now look back and through the movie look forward. I think the concept of forgiveness, we've started a movement called iForgive.com. And we're going to encourage people to go to the iForgive.com website and document your own stories. But this is our prayer. If someone can forgive someone at that level, ask yourself today as you're hearing this, what do you harbor in your heart that is so minuscule that has prevented you from moving forward? Get on the phone, forgive them, and drive on.
2: Thank you so much for sharing your story today, Chris Dunham.
1: Thanks for having me.
2: Our guest today was Chris Dunham, who was the spiritual consultant for the movie The Least of These, The Graham Stain Story. To find out more about the movie, you can go to the website, theleastofthesemovie.com.au. That's theleastofthesemovie.com.au. Next time, our guest will be Gladys Staines, and she'll share what it was like living through the events that are depicted in the movie. Also, she'll share about what it was like having a movie made about her wife and the life of her husband. All that coming up next time right here on Real Faith.
0: You've been listening to Real Faith.